Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to Winter. Robert Craig, our Executive Director, is with us. Uh, Robert, welcome. Welcome to the first, I guess it's not the... Folks say it's it's winter because it's December 1st. I know on the 21st technically is the first day of winter, but feeling like winter. Good to have you, Robert. Yeah, it's feeling like winter, but it's a new climate, so we'll see. Maybe we'll get a couple <laughs> warmish days still, but we're, we're going into cold. And the predictions uh, from the major long-term analysts, which is can be highly inaccurate, is this be a cold and wet winter. Well, I'd time. be ready for that. I like snow. So I would, I would be good with that. But uh, Robert, we're going to, we're folks don't join us to listen to the weather. Fortunately, we are not weather prognosticators. Uh, folks come to listen to hear about politics, uh, particularly here in the great state of Wisconsin. Uh, and Robert, we have a lovely intersection this week of state politics and federal. We've talked about it before, and that is Robin Voss is uh, testified yesterday, is my understanding, uh, before the January 6th committee. And to just refresh our listeners, I assume most of you have probably already heard the news, but um, this is he he attempted to not testify, has really tried to duck this, uh, and they're trying to get him on the record about his famous conversation with President Trump that he talked to, uh, I believe it was a Channel 12 reporter here in Milwaukee that uh, blew up. Uh, last summer, Robert, this is um, this is also. I'd like to get your thoughts on this within the context of this broader split that we've been talking about within the state Wisconsin Republican Party in the legislature, particularly on the assembly side between Voss. Talk later about Janelle Branchin, but the Trump caucus and uh, Voss trying to walk this tightrope. And he did that with this, obviously not immediately just agreeing to go testify. But Robert, it's kind of big news. And uh, this investigation continues, obviously. Uh, your thoughts? Well, it is part of Voss's gradual evolution since his near-death experience in the primary, where Donald Trump almost single-handedly took him out with a no-name candidate. Uh which was uh, quite amazing and used the last rally of the primary to do it and to stampede votes. Uh, Voss has moved against the Trump takeover of the party and really tried to reassert the previous mastery of the Walker wing. That's the wing that did Act 10, remember, and a lot of other things, a lot of voter suppression. So there are no angels. Uh, and so he uh, remove Brandigen from the caucus. We'll get to her later. The, the, the uh, outspoken election-denying chair of the Assembly Elections Committee. Uh, he ended the uh, Gableman clown car investigation, which was all to appease Trump. And he has made overtures about compromising with Voss and has said he wishes the Assembly would act more in line with public opinion. Of course, since he gerrymandered it, that's why they don't have to act in line with public opinion. So he broke it. He can't fix it without having fair elections. But having said that, in this case, he decided, Matt, I'm going to get put some resistance up, but I'm not going to be like Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows and others who simply are ignoring their subpoenas and, and flouting them. I'm going to negotiate probably as lawyer 
uh, limited the scope, you know, went back and forth in order to get his voluntary testimony. And so we don't know. We we know we know from Voss's report it was a very short interview. So hopefully he gave them what they wanted, which is Donald Trump called him up and asked him to decertify the 2020 election and did that four months ago, the earliest, uh, the most recent instance showing that Donald Trump's conspiracy against the 2020 election is ongoing, which is important information for the commission to have. I trust that he had to give some confirmation of that, regardless of how good his attorney was. This look is this is going to be a defining relationship we're going to have to watch over the next year or two. And it's going to be how Robin Voss navigates this Republican caucus. And because it's a viper's den, you've got Janelle Branchin and the Trump Trump wing. And uh, it's not as it's not a tiny group. There's uh, more of these folks, uh, probably at least a dozen or so. Uh, that are willing to really go at Voss. And certainly we're very unhappy with him. But even Robert, we talked about this last week, his partner in the Senate, they're trying, he's trying to talk, you mentioned it, find common ground with the governor, work on issues that are popular with the public. Yeah, well, but even on a policy side, not only is he going to have to deal with the Trumpites, but he's not on the same page, I don't think, as LeMahieu with this flat tax and revenue. I know they want to look at revenue, but I'm sure it wasn't Voss's idea to float the flat tax idea. Maybe I'm wrong. So it's a very complicated situation within which he's operating, uh, and it smells of all of the corruption of a gerrymandered legislature, Robert. I'm not sure where the Walker wing is on a flat tax, so I would not... I would not jump to that conclusion immediately. Oh, I think they might support it, Robert, like might want it. I think they know politics. It was the wrong thing to be out floating. I mean, I'm sure he was happy it was LeMahieu and not him. Right. Okay. Uh, but right. I would just say, I think he can't get a full flat tax out of Governor Evers, but he knows that Governor Evers, unlike most modern Democrats, it would love to have more tax cuts and and is okay with aggressive ones. And I'm sorry to report that to everyone. It's very important that, 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 that Tony Evers is reelected. He does good things, but he is stuck somewhere in the 1990s on taxes. Uh, he probably can't get a full flat tax. Can he get a lot of things out of Governor Evers if he could negotiate and could get a majority in the assembly? So that's a big question, that second part, because I don't know that he speaks for the whole assembly caucus, given how radically right it is. Uh, then he could probably get some uh, very close to a Republican, a mainline Republican tax cut, which mostly helps wealthier people. He can't get a radical one, so he couldn't get a complete flat tax like Tim Michaels floated. So, folks, that was excellent, Robert, because that, in a nutshell, is how what all of this this fits into when we have this clown car sideshow with Trump and Robert. We, I do want to talk about what Janelle Branch in this attempting to try to get from the Wisconsin Election Commission, because I think this is important, right? This is all part of what's navigating and will play out in budget negotiations in actual real important policy. Uh, but this, Robert, and I want to get your comments on this, has to do with, again, the internal fighting, both within the Republican Party, Janelle Branchin chairs this elections committee within, which, within the assembly, which I'm sure Voss is might be looking back as one of his worst decisions. Um, 
is trying to get data on the 2020 election for, that the Wisconsin Election Commission last night just deadlocked over. Uh, so no data is forthcoming. But please, it was Robert, the um, the Democratic members of the commission were like, what are we talking about? The, own, the Republicans' own caucus doesn't trust Janelle Branson with information and data. Why would we give her data that we know legally can't go beyond her eyes and get shared widely when she's completely untrustworthy? But Robert, again, this is another fault line of the fissures within the Republican uh, the new uh, gerrymandered Republican legislature, but uh, your thoughts on uh, the election commission and the, it's deadlocking over this effort, this continued effort to try and go after the 2020 election. Remember Scott Walker and the Walker ring of the party that's trying to reassert itself, got rid of the government county county board, which was far less political because it investigated Walker's clear violations of Wisconsin election law and which a Supreme court later uh, got him out of by changing the law to not make it felonious activity. I mean, just we got to keep repeating that. Okay, I don't know why they, they swallowed the fly. <laughs> they went to a broken model that we already have broken at the federal level with the Federal Election Commission. That is a balance between uh, the two parties that could have worked in a more bipartisan era in the era of polarization brought on by the modern Republican Party. I love the way I even heard a Brookings expert on climate data at NPR talking about how, well, it's really hard to do this in our era of polarization, like it's a weather change, right? Like it's random. No, someone polarized for their benefit to take more bigger share of the economy. And that was very wealthy people behind the Republican Party and the largest corporations in this country, okay? So, uh, the problem is here that, I mean, if you go, that we have, a, of course, a broken system once they get, uh, remove all swing Republicans and they remove the one, chased him off that was, uh, that just looked at policy. Uh, and so you're go they're going to deadlock. It's an, it's an absurd request. It's going to take that, shut the whole WEC down, the election commission staff for, for weeks it's going to cost 50000 and it gives the private data of everyone to someone who is clearly untrustworthy. But this is a party that puts clearly untrustworthy people into the legislature with no problem and then makes them, at least this session, assembly chair. I'm predicting she will not be assembly chair in the new legislature. So her <laughs> reign is much rough, but she's a sitting legislator. Usually they have some subpoena rights, but they're not usually... Uh, criminal almost and, in their in their attacks on democracy and with that we're gonna take a break you're listening to the battlegrounds welcome back to the battleground wisconsin robert i interrupted you we are talking about republican crazy politics playing out washing over into the wisconsin election commission meeting last night where they deadlocked over giving janelle branch and an uh access to in, uh, an insane amount of 2020 election data to try to prove something that didn't happen. <laughs> and Robert, it's, it is interesting that it happened the same day that the election commission certified the 2022 election, but yet there's gotta be something crazily wrong with 2020. It's just, 
on its surface, it's absurd. But you're right, Robert, this would be an insane amount of energy uh, for the Election Commission to have to put forth as we're heading into, you know, yet another spring election that, you know, has a lot of other business that they ought to be doing. Uh, but that is where we're at. The thing to understand is, is that usually, even though political parties and elected officials uh, have a position and defend their position, act like advocates in some degree, there is some core of principle that they don't simply flip on for advocacy purposes. They're not like criminal defense attorneys who are bound to make a case for their client, regardless of what they believe. But think about this. What if the January 6th commission, which is a whole heck of a lot more credible than Janelle Branchon, right, asked for the personal information, the full data files of every American, the right-wing machine would go crazy about the attack on freedom. So there is no principle. It's okay for her to do it. Not a a whisper, right? Where is the outcry from their side? Where are the defenders of personal liberty, personal privacy, you know, the heaven of government getting control of you and knowing everything about you? Where is that? It's not there because there's no principle. It's her. If she, if a Republican's doing it, it's fine. If credible Democrats for good reason are doing it, it isn't. Look, I want to uh, take this opportunity to again thank um, Mark Thompson and Ann Jacobs for being on this committee. They do amazing work. And I, I just challenge our listeners, you know, you can go read just about any story that deals with the election commission and those two will be quoted widely and that's to their credit. And that has not always been the case. Um, These tend to have in the past have been, you know, much more sleepier positions and less acrimonious. Uh, But the times have called for courageous leadership. And the two of them have been amazing the last few years. And I just have to say, you know, we're very fortunate to have both of them on this commission such thoughtful uh, legal minds who have been able to navigate this very complex but absolutely critical piece of our democracy. Um, Very proud we uh, at Citizen Action awarded Mark Thompson uh, an award this year for his work. Uh, Not not only is he someone who helps lead Citizen Action, but just what he's done on the Election Commission. It's amazing, and, and, and they have stepped in and taken on much like a lot of other folks who run election uh, and administer elections in the state, um, just unbelievable amounts of of stress and Im- important decisions over the last, shall we say now, three years running at least, um, heading into the 2022, and the shenanigans continue. But thank you. Uh, we should have probably thanked you last week. <laughs> before Thanksgiving, but um, just want to state that. And again, they continue in this latest uh, shenanigans, two of them to continue to speak very clearly uh, in uh, up for democracy and for, as you said, Robert, protecting people's data in this case. Well, Robert, we got to talk elections. We love elections because they're super important to power. And at Citizen Action, we're really serious about trying to use elections, not only to build our organization, uh, but to change, to actually change the direction of the state over the next decade. And Robert, we have just a historic Supreme Court election coming up. We've talked about it. Um, we had, I, 
I uh, recorded a very brief Thanksgiving show last week that basically just begged you all to please donate to our Supreme Court Action Fund here at Citizen Action, where every dollar is going directly to support our deep field canvas, which talks in long, longer conversations with critical voters in the election. And uh, we really need your support so that we can win this election. But Robert, I need to get your comments on the big news of the week. And that is uh, celebrity judge Doro, Jennifer Doro of the Waukesha case, the, that we just finished the very traumatic uh, case. And she has announced this week, she is running for Supreme court. I want to get your thoughts on that. And in particular, Robert, the, with her announcement, um, a lot of a lot of uh, publicity, including Bice in the uh, journal Sentinel, around Judge Doro basically having a similar, I'm not going to say it's the same, but a similar position to Mandela Barnes, that cash bail is, 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 is failing right now. And the system as structured is not providing justice and keeping us as safe as we could be. And that it needs to be reformed. And these aren't just comments that uh, were dredged up from a year or two, four or five years ago. Um, she has reasserted this uh, just in the last couple of weeks that the system does need reforming, uh, which is interesting. But Robert, want to get your thoughts. Doro jumps in. We now have two conservatives. And just because she had that position on Caspiel, she has clearly come out and said, I am a conservative. I am vying to replace Patience Rosen, Rosensack. So not trying to pretend that she isn't some conservative. But Robert, your thoughts? It's going to be a hell of an interesting Supreme Court race. We've got uh, two progressives, two conservatives uh, for a historically important race. Though I never said it publicly, I owe Judge, Judge Darrow a private apology. I saw all of her preening in front of the uh, in, in the Waukesha parade trial and then immediate announcement for judge which for supreme court which seems like taking advantage of the situation i assume she was just a you know standard order conservative uh, you know politician in robes right but she is been on and you know she's very conservative i'm not saying that we should support her for a lot of other reasons though i'm, I'm more open to what she has to say um, she and she's a graduate of an evangelical, uh, you know, higher education institution, Waukesha judge. Um, she said the quiet part out loud that the cash bail system doesn't work. It doesn't keep us safer. It just makes sure that poor people are behind bars for no good reason and people who can make bail are not. And that judges are not allowed to consider public safety when they're deciding on bail which is the opposite of what Mandela Barnes's bill would have done. It was the, the reason, the basis for bail would be public safety and the risk and the severity and the riskiness of letting the, uh, letting the, the accused go. And only then would there be a justification for denying them a basic constitutional right, free conviction, which is what you do when you hold someone before they're actually convicted and have gone through the process. But the right-wing machine... The, the 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 billionaires such as Richard E. Line and um, uh, and uh, Diane Hendricks spent millions and millions and millions bashing Mandela Barnes so they could win that race barely and convince a few swing voters twenty six thousand margin by lying about cash bail. So it's outrageous. I got to also say 
We haven't done our endorsement process yet. I was great to see in Dan Bice's story in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that uh, Judge Everett Mitchell forthright agreed, but that um, the other Democratic candidate that a lot of people are supporting, and again, I we're open to her. She'll be involved in our endorsement process. Uh, but Janet, um, how do you pronounce her name, Matt? Because she's just Judge you know, Janet for Justice, doesn't use her last name that much. I'm, I'm going with Janet for Justice until this Polish okay. uh, eighth generation removed immigrant can properly pronounce my uh, uh, sister's uh, <laughs> last name. And you are Polish lineage. So I've, I said eight generations removed. <laughs> yes. So you would be better at Polish pronounce American pronunciations of formerly Polish names. And, and how about that Polish World Cup team? <laughs> yeah, they made it. Poor Mexico. Anyway, <laughs> so I feel badly for the Mexican people. They love so- their soccer. Yeah, their team was better, too. They would have yeah. probably provided a much more entertaining round of 16 than Poland will. Right. So, but she died to comment. Okay, folks, come on. This is like critical to public safety and criminal justice. And we don't like this with U.S. Supreme Court nominees either that refuse to answer questions left or right. This is silly. This is an election. We don't need to judge a particular case in order to take a position on whether cash bail is a workable system for keeping the public safe or not. Look, obviously, Janet will have a chance to make comments on this. And this is just the first shot. But Look, I agree. This is this is going to be one of the major issues. Whether we like it or not, billionaires put it on the agenda and Republicans backed it. And now they got one of their top celebrity judges calling them out, essentially. She's not doing that, but essentially saying and re-injecting this and making this a fascinating, hopefully real effing discussion of this cash bail system, and, right? Uh, and I don't want to overstate it. I so I'm, I'm, I'm making me were open to her. I'm always, you know, in Hagedorn, Justice Hagedorn has shown this to some degree. Um, hoping in my life that there are honest conservatives who That's just right. agree with us on values. I used to hope that Paul Ryan, who is very, you know, wonky, famously so, was that person. When I lost faith in that, and he's been better about Trump than Scott Walker has, who's been, you know, trying to maneuver to get back into office, it looks like, and make another run. Uh, we could mention that later. Uh, but, you know, I sat in a run, run in a in a Paul Ryan forum, public forum down in his district in the middle of the ACA debate when it was hot and you had packed forums. And the first two levels of argument he made were honest and were what was in the ACA. Then he made logical leaps. He clearly understood the law very deeply that were just a lie about what it did. And I just thought to myself, you know what? I, I, I no longer have respect that you're an honest conservative. You know that's a lie and you're doing it anyway to rev them up. Well, with that, we have to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about the historically important Supreme Court race that got a hell of a lot more interesting this week when Judge Doro jumped in and immediately the uh, whole cash bail got reignited and in a way that hopefully will drive a good conversation. Robert, beforehand, you were saying, look, I, no one's here saying, oh, we agree with what Judge Doro's position will end up being on. 
what what she believes reform looks like, but it's at least an honest conversation about what what's going to keep us safe and will hopefully allow us to have a much, shall we say, more honest conversation about this in the Supreme Court race. And it is super important as progressives that we lead in this and not cover, duck and cover and get all political because we have a historically important election. And I get a lot it of calls on us to actually that... be historically courageous and take on this issue and actually do and start to articulate visions of what will keep us safe. And the current cash bail system isn't that. So, yeah, and not, I'm to... getting tiff tiffing money morning quarterbacking that Mandela never should have done that bill. You know, should have been for that. He shouldn't as a legislator have actually tried to make our <laughs> our, our criminal justice system fairer and to create greater public safety. Judge Doro said two important things. One, that it doesn't keep us safer. It just makes sure that people are kept behind bars based on the ability to pay. And in fact, the way the system's set up, it doesn't allow a judge to take into account public safety. That is what she is saying. She has said the quiet part out loud. It means Mandela Barnes was better on public safety than Ron Johnson, but they lied about it in demagogue to yeah. get power, which is who they are and what they are. Look, we, uh, I'm just going to say that we have an obligation as progressives this issue they brought it in game on their donors and their billionaires decided to this was how they were going to bring race and all the other ring and crime into the wisconsin election well you know what i think they made a mistake and i hope that we can prove mandela barnes right by having a conversation about this where i think most people will agree that the current system is a failure, but we're only going to get there if we actually engage full-throatedly in this discussion. So look, yeah. folks, we look forward to it. It's super important. And this week, uh, Judge Doro at least took a step in helping hopefully create a much more interesting and helpful to democracy a discussion. We'll see. There's a long way to go. Let me let me just say, I listen to a lot of conservative media. You have to hear the other side, I think. Someone, someone has to do it on our side, some people. Earl Ingram, the talk show host, is another who monitors them. So they would say about your comment, Matt, where you brought race into it. What did it have to do with race? Okay. Everything. Let's be clear. <laughs> people who can't pay are disproportionately people of color because our socioeconomics in this country are color-coded. In other words, if you are black, you are much more likely to be poor and not middle class than if you are white. Now, there are actually more poor white people than poor black people because of the population proportion. So they're both true. There are a lot of poor white people, but disproportionately they're black. And furthermore, can you tell me that any adult in Wisconsin doesn't know that a predominantly black neighborhood is also going to be a poor neighborhood? I mean, they all know. Everyone knows when you say we're going to hold people who can't, can't uh, do bail, that's going to be poor people who aren't going to pay bail and that they're going to be disproportionately people of color. It's known by everyone. You can lie at the roadhouse taverns all you want. It is about race when you say that. So, look, this is um, I'm fired up because I was already excited about this election. I only got more excited this week. And because we might actually be able to have an election about real issues, folks, we plan on making that happen, at least in this primary. We have scheduled a candidate forum uh, where we're going to have the two uh, leading progressive candidates uh, there 
to to talk and of course this will be one of you know this how, how do we keep ourselves safe will be a primary part of the discussion but we will of course be talking about other things that we know the supreme court deals with uh particularly dealing uh with corporate power and abuse and you know uh, Matt. And basically protecting uh us as uh individuals our our basic rights but uh folks please uh wednesday you know, january you know. 11th 7 p.m We'll have a link, RSVP, go sign up uh, for that forum that we will also uh, be surveying our members on the back end of that. And all of that data is going to go to our board who will decide whether we should get involved in the primary. Robert. I'm just thinking we're a Democrat organization. The executive director does not simply make decisions. Maybe we should discuss internally whether Judge Darrow deserves an invite to that forum. Maybe it's too complicated, but just a, just a thought. I'm not saying I'm there. I'm just, it occurred to me. Look, I it hadn't occurred to me until she took the position she did. However, uh, you know, I'll just say, look, she's laid out that she's a conservative. We're, we're, we're not likely to endorse a conservative. Um, and there'll be plenty of opportunities to hear from, from Judge Darrow. Um, our forum is very seriously connected to our endorsement process and trying to use the 90 minutes we're going to have as efficiently as possible with the two candidates that will really truly be um, c- competing for progressives uh, support and that our board will seriously be considering. But you're absolutely right, Robert. She certainly uh, 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 made for someone being interesting. But uh, folks, that may change. But as of right now, please sign up regardless. Uh, this forum is going to be really important. And of course, no matter what, whoever, whichever progressive candidate emerges, we're going to be in it deep. We're going to be talking to voters on the doors, on the phones across the state. And that requires resources. We need your support. Uh, we don't get big corporate donations. We don't get large, massive foundations that can't donate to elections. We need you. And it is we're the we are the answer to this. So please donate to our 2023 Supreme Court Action Fund. There'll be a link right along with the website. Please, please do that. Robert, 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 Robert. Gotta talk to you about Tammy Baldwin. Uh, we we talked about this last week. We set up that like it was already, shall we say, greased to succeed and pass through the Senate. Due to Tammy Baldwin's great work on the uh, making sure that everyone has access to marriage and and that it isn't uh, just uh, something that is denied based on uh, a, a bad Supreme Court decision, uh, and and we talked about how Senator Baldwin expertly navigated that and tried to make this about winning and getting actual rights to people guaranteed as opposed to politicizing it. Well, Robert, uh, yesterday this uh, passed the Senate. Uh, and got over 60 votes. Um, this is just, um, I've, I read it, I believe it was Robert Kuttner who described it as progressive bipartisanship. I love the term because it reflects what you and others have been talking about. The Democratic Party is now a progressive party and our issues are popular and we actually have the most room for bipartisanship on some of our best progressive ideas. And Baldwin executed that beautifully. Robert. You know, I've known Tammy Baldwin since she was a young member of the county board in Dane County. And I was a student at UW-Madison. She's never been a show horse. She's never been, you know, someone who just does things for performance. She actually wants to get things done. 
And so she epitomizes the philosophy of citizen action of radical pragmatism, that is getting the far end of the possible. You could make the case, these are tough calls, that we need to not agree to a compromise in this case because we can get something better later and build more power. Uh, but sometimes, and there's a lot of regret, say, now by folks who are heavily involved in the immigration rights fight not to have taken the deal on the table in the late Obama administration in the, in the second term because there was an assumption we could get better later, and it's not true. We can't get as good now. And so she prioritized, she decided, and she was criticized for this, uh, that for that that if she could actually protect these rights from Clarence Thomas and this runaway roguish right wing court, illegitimately packed court, that she should do it, and that if she threaded the needle, that she could get enough Republicans to pass this because public opinion has changed so much. And she said, if we did the vote before the election, it would be politicized and we wouldn't get it. People hated that because they wanted to use it as an election issue. Understandably, that is a kind of power. That is not a bad thing. That is a serious consideration. She judged because and that she could get it after the election. And, you know, that's another thing bipartisan minded Democrats often do. They make a mistake. They can get it when they can't. And then they get nothing. They never even set up the issue. She was right. She did a real power analysis like organizers. And she delivered with her allies. And so that is really, really important. And we do need to be, as progressives, a governing party, not just a principles or values party. Yes. And Robert, you often remind us that judges are incredibly political and they do look at public opinion and they do look at where majoritarian positions are. That doesn't always matter. And this is a one Supreme Court that clearly is going to is far more activist than we have seen probably in a certainly in our lifetimes and you know probably in over a, multiple generations this kind of victory in margin helps when ron johnson votes against it and says oh there's not really a threat well he's completely wrong and everybody knows that there's a direct threat everyone feels it there's actually another case that's coming up next week that will continue to test this sort of uh elimination of rights that dobbs put uh put into question of a, a victory like this in the Senate. And it obviously also passed the house, but with such majorities helps send a clear message to the court about like, if they actually go down and continue go down where Thomas was in, you know, inferring and stripping rights based off of Dobbs, how whack out of line they are. Right. And that, that, that message was sent and Tammy Baldwin helped send that message very clearly. With that, we gotta take a break. You're listening to the Battle of Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're of course all over the socials too, in particular Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Please check us out. And we also, I think everybody knows, we have organizing cooperatives. Members are everything to us. They're super important. Really encourage you to become a member. We'll, of course, have a link to membership. Please join Citizen Action. It's super important democracy, as we know, and always say is a participating sport. And never more than now do we need your help. Please, please consider joining us. Robert, I want to get your comments on the merger 
of Elbertson and Kroger. We talked about this story about two months ago when it was news really first broke. We talked about this is somewhat of a complex situation because it seems pretty clear that Albertson Kroger merger gets them to a scale where, I mean, they're going to have the ability to really um, hurt what I would say prices, leverage, um, get closer to monopoly situation that might, that wouldn't be good for consumers or workers. Um, but however, there's sometimes labor unions, right? Like, like to be able to try to leverage and negotiate these kinds of opportunities to get organizing rights and that there's always sort of a balance between what clearly will uh, make your enemy larger and more powerful and have more, shall we say, economic clout to crush you. Um, could you harness or leverage that? And unions are always trying to strategically figure that out. Robert, well, the reason I'm asking for comment is uh, this merger was discussed in Congress and the Senate this week, and a number of Democrats, of course, uh, very outspoken against it. I uh, want to get your thoughts. Uh, not sure if you had a chance to see any of it or read about it, but just any further thoughts you have, because this is really important. This is about the kind of economy uh, we're going to have going forward here in the uh, 21st century. I want to take a step back. We learned in the 19th and early 20th century how damaging monopolies were both to workers, consumers, and to democracy because the monopolies have immense power to manipulate. The conservative legal movement and the movement of conservatism since the 1960s moved against a very strong antitrust regime that existed it began in the Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt and Wilson administrations. First major legislative steps were in the Wilson administration. Then it was all codified and made bolder in the New Deal by Franklin L. Roosevelt. And Democrat and Republican presidents uh, ran administrations that broke up monopolies. And what the right-wing argument was, led by uh, Milton Friedman, was that Really, the problem wasn't monopolies. It was simply cost to consumers and the monopolies can be more efficient. And they manage without many legal changes. A lot of these laws are still on the books to completely change legal philosophy with the support of right wing politicians in a way that we stop challenging monopolies. And that's how we got Walmart, Amazon, Facebook, etc. And so we're in this situation where we have the first administration in a long time that wants to crack down on monopolies, which is absolutely in the public interest. Remember in the 70s, the Carter administration broke up the AT&T monopoly. All sorts of monopolies were broken up, just for example. And so the one issue is, you know, these are union grocery chains. So they're better than Walmart or Amazon and, and the other competitors, Target, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it would further consolidate the food industry and likely raise prices if you merge these two behemoths. I understand from their perspective why they want to have more power to compete against the Walmarts and against the Amazons, right? And Amazon not only does a lot of grocery delivery now, it's opening up these Amazon fresh stores, which are fully automated, have no checkout people. There's one near my mom's house in suburban Chicago. So... Um, I think we need to do it globally. I think it's particularly given the spike in food prices, a really bad idea to allow this merger. But if we just stop there and allow these other non-union monopolies to dominate, then they can eventually 
you know, remove what are two companies that have far better labor practices and actually create decent jobs for folks. And uh, just so folks know, Crow Pick and Save in Wisconsin is Kroger. Jewel in Illinois is Albertsons. And I'm sure there are other connections I'm not naming, but those are two big ones that folks would know. Yeah. And so this has an impact here. We will definitely feel this like in Milwaukee area. I mean, Kroger's very, very dominant uh, now. And so this, this definitely has an impact. Uh, well, look, it is worth pointing out while Congress uh, was holding hearings and uh, talking about this issue, it, ultimately, this is going to be uh, determined by the, what is it, Robert, the Federal Trade Commission, uh, ultimately rules on whether this deal is going to be good. But certainly, similar to what we talked about with the Supreme Court and public opinion, holding Senate hearings, helping, you know, make sure that this is out there and that there's a real concern here about the power of a of a merged Kroger and Albertson and is super is, important. This is where the Biden administration was sneaky progressive, much more than the Clinton or Obama administrations. Biden appointed a progressive FTC chair who has been very strong on monopolies and is a, is a major leader on critiquing them. So this is the first FTC in a long time that might actually act uh, in a rigorous way here, especially given democratic understandable concerns that if they don't aren't out front on inflation that we might be giving the next election to a uh, to a fascist candidate to a DeSantis or a Trump and look th this is going to take a while and so the political environment and that's created around this is important uh, they expect the FTC could take until 2024 to decide on this merger so uh, the broader environment that is happening around it does matter. And we'll continue to talk more as more information details uh, come out about this proposed merger and potentially where the FTC might be going. Robert, before we go, uh, we have five minutes. I need I need to get your comments on what has become was huge public news this week around the railroad strike. We had talked about the railroad strike before. It was narrowly averted, uh, I don't know, about a month or two ago uh, with a deal that President Biden uh, sort of very publicly stepped in and negotiated. Uh, that deal has been rejected by uh, a few unions. And again, there's a number of unions that all have to agree to the deal. Uh, some of them did, but num a few of them have not. And uh, I believe yesterday, Robert, Congress actually voted, if I'm correct, voted to force them back to work. Uh, and with one change, or at least one notable change, the, there was one paid sick day apparently in the original negotiated contract, and they've added seven to the deal. And that was a major sticking point. The idea that these workers, especially during COVID, didn't have access to paid sick days and even seven, right? Like it's um, that's that's tight, but it's certainly a lot better than one. Robert, help our mem members and listeners better understand what the hell is going on. Well, this is where we need to be radically pragmatic about power. Okay, and understand the difference between the role of a president and the role of a union leader, okay, or union activists, or corporations for that matter. So, yes, these railroad workers are exploited. 
yes, what's happened in a lot of these industries is to create absolutely insane working conditions, right? And work people, you know, death, like have no paid sick days with this kind of work when they've made it harder and harder and loaded all sorts of overtime on people is terrible. And the and with a union, the way strikes work is the strike is where you have leverage. And of course, with transportation, you have a lot of leverage before Christmas, right? So this is maximum leverage for these unions. What Biden is trying to do is a throwback to what uh, Harry Truman did uh, when there was a national railroad strike, also a pro-union president. He actually stepped in, nationalized the railroads and imposed a deal. And neither side liked what he did, okay? So Biden has been trying to both broker but impose a deal the deal he came up with, which is imperfect, but is an advances. There are a lot of advances in, in what has been won already by the railroad workers unions. The union split of the eight unions, four ratified, four did not. Okay. And I take very seriously what the four did not are saying about what needs to happen. So, but on the other hand, if there was to be a, a disruption of the supply chain like this, Right before Christmas, the economic consequences for average people are already struggling in terms of inflation, and the political consequences of the Democratic Party would be dire, and they really would. So these things are both true, okay? And he and so what happened, just to clarify what you said, in the House, the, with only a few Republican, mostly Democratic votes, Nancy Pelosi is still Speaker for the rest of this session, they imposed the, the deal. Uh, that as it exists, which doesn't do enough on sick days, but then in separate legislation created seven sick days. Here's the problem. In the Senate, you would need 60 votes. And you probably don't have them. So Bernie Sanders is speaking up. He's the major defender of the railroad unions and at least trying to get a recorded vote. That's his tweet yesterday, which tells me maybe he doesn't think it can, it can happen, but he at least wants it on the record. Uh, uh, the stronger position that's been posed on Biden, I don't want, oh, he's terrible, he's anti-union. No, he's in a tough position, okay? But he's also cross-pressured, and he has a lot of moderate consultants advising him, so that's all coming in. What he should do is say, this would be the stronger position rather than the recorded vote, I won't sign it unless it also includes the seven paid sick days from the House and put the pressure back on the Republicans. And I think that's where I would lean, but it's a tough position for this president, any president. Uh well, folks, look, the, the ultimate lesson here, too, is there is no substitute for organizing and never, ever expect politicians to save your bacon, especially when you can cook your own bacon the way you like it. So join a union doesn't mean you're going to get everything you want, but you at least have a voice. And these workers have certainly demonstrated that uh, they've captured the national attention this week. Uh, and that does speak to the power of collective action. Folks, we got to roll. Collectively, I want to thank Brian Wildridge, our producer, who makes this happen every week. Uh, and folks, 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 please consider, if you're a member, come to our annual meeting Saturday, December 10th. Is that the right date? Yes, 10 o'clock, folks. We'll have a link also in the pod description. We'll see y'all next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.